Star Wars 7x7 episode 2716. It's not every day that a company turns 50 years old, and today happens to be the day that Lucasfilm turns 50. Yes, indeed, it was founded on December 10th, 1971, and today we're going to talk about some moments in Lucasfilm history, some of which you may not have known, and others you might be pleasantly surprised to recall. Punch it. Hey Rebel Rouser, I'm Alan Voivod and this is Star Wars 7x7, your daily dose of Star Wars joy, and thank you so much for joining me for it. So, Star Wars joy in a way begins on this date 50 years ago today when Lucasfilm was founded. This is how they describe it officially on the website. Founded by visionary filmmaker George Lucas in 1971, Lucasfilm established itself as a quote, rebel base, unquote, <laughs> of sorts in San Francisco's Bay Area, a place the filmmaker chose to quote, shake up the status quo of how movies were made and what they were about, unquote. It was a defiant departure from the Hollywood mainstream and a more conducive atmosphere to cultivate his independent spirit of filmmaking. Beyond that, they don't give you a lot of Lucasfilm history. They just kind of focus more on technical achievements than anything else. So from a story perspective, the highlights that they hit are the fact that with all his Star Wars money, Lucas set out to build Skywalker Ranch in the mid 80s and Skywalker Sound was housed there. And ILM had previously been set up in Los Angeles, but he moved them up north to San Rafael. So that way they would be in close proximity to each other. Then about 20 odd years later, 2005, Lucasfilm and ILM would set up shop at the Letterman Digital Arts Center at the Presidio in San Francisco. Then Lucas would step down and hand the reins over to Kathleen Kennedy, and then Disney would acquire Lucasfilm. And that's pretty much it from company history and storytelling. But I will share a link to the list of technical achievements, and we'll talk about a couple of them. But it is really impressive to see the stuff that Lucasfilm and its subsidiaries have pioneered. They describe themselves now on the website like this. They say, Lucasfilm is among the world's leading entertainment service companies, a pioneer in visual effects and sound across multiple mediums and a home to the legendary Star Wars and Indiana Jones franchises. I want to spin back to that phrase, entertainment service company, because that's not how you walk around thinking about Lucasfilm, but it really does kind of position Lucasfilm more about their technical capacity, Skywalker Sound and Industrial Light and Magic and X-Lab and so on and so forth and the stuff that they're doing with stagecraft technology. But really, I think with most people, if you're walking on the street and you say Lucasfilm, they think Star Wars or they think Indiana Jones. And that's it. Like third on the list might be ILM, I would say. But yeah, most people Star Wars. But even thinking about that, I was just kind of giving myself a little bit of a, a mental check and thinking, well, what do I think of when I think of Sony, for example? And right now, like when you think of Sony, you think of the Spider-Man movies or the Jumanji movies, maybe. Like you don't necessarily think of the fact that they used to produce all sorts of, you know, music stuff like, you know, boom boxes and CD players and whatnot. And yeah, they do TVs or do they did TVs? I don't even know if they do <laughs> TVs anymore, quite honestly. Now I just associate them with, you know, a franchise more than anything else. Now, I'm sure they do other stuff, but it really is kind of about the intellectual property they produce and with Lucasfilm it's Star Wars and Indiana Jones for 99% of it but 
entertainment service company. That's a neat and interesting way to be thinking about Lucasfilm, that it isn't just about that, it is about the technology. And it really has been all about the technology for George Lucas for the longest time. I mean, we've all heard the stories about how frustrated he was with various aspects of filmmaking and not being able to have things reflect the vision that he had in his head. That was sort of the onus for doing the special editions for Star Wars, but also that was sort of a fundraising thing for him to finance the prequels. But it goes even further back than that. So the story goes that when they were in production for Return of the Jedi, that they were testing it out in theaters and the sound that they were getting in studio was just absolutely not not anything like it was in the movie theater and so that's why they developed THX. So THX is actually a quality assurance system so basically it's a methodology for ensuring that what happens in the movie theater and the sound that you hear in the movie theater is as close to what they envisioned it to be when they were working on it in the studio. As far as the technology that appeared on screen and how that affected things going forward. Well, it seems like there are three particular seminal moments in the development of computer graphic technology that led Lucas to say, okay, yes, the time is right to not only do the special editions, but also to give the go ahead on the prequels. One of them was in 1982, and that was when ILM completed the first computer generated sequence in a major motion picture. That was the Genesis effect situation in Star Trek, <laughs> Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. Then the second thing would be in 1985, there was a movie called Young Sherlock Holmes, and in it, a knight comes out of a stained glass window and starts walking around, and this was like the first CGI character in a major motion picture, the stained glass knight. And then finally, jumping ahead a few years later, the CGI sequences that ILM was doing for Jurassic Park in 1992, that was like the final straw. That was when Lucas said, okay, I think we can do this. It's going to take a while, but I think we can get there. And that was the end of Star Wars filmmaking for George Lucas, ending with Revenge of the Sith. He told the stories that he wanted to tell, but it wasn't the end of filmmaking for him at all. And in fact, Lucasfilm has a whole bunch of productions that are not Star Wars or Indiana Jones productions. There's about a dozen of them. You've probably heard, of course, of THX 1138, which was his first film, and American Graffiti, leading then into Star Wars as his third feature. There was a sequel to American Graffiti called More American Graffiti, which was unfortunately not as well-reviewed as the original. There are films that are beloved to this day, like Labyrinth and Willow, which is, of course, getting a live-action series from Lucasfilm. And then ones that maybe <laughs> are better forgotten, like Howard the Duck. Uh, yeah, possibly a matter of opinion. <laughs> I'm not sure. And prior to the Disney acquisition, the final live action stuff that they did, sort of a combination thing. Red Tails, which was an action adventure film about the Tuskegee Airmen in World War II, and it came out more or less simultaneously with a documentary called Double Victory about the Tuskegee Airmen at war in World War II. And those came out in January of 2012, and at that point, the acquisition talks were already underway 
Day, and it would be announced in October of 2012, and I suppose if you wanted to have a little fun with this, you could. Way back in 2012, there had been this theory that the world was going to end because of some Mayan calendar prediction, and the date that that was supposed to happen was December 21st of 2012. Well, that actually <laughs> happens to be the date that the sale was totally finalized, and Lucasfilm officially became a subsidiary of the Walt Disney Company. But of course, the world of Star Wars didn't end. We got five more movies since then, and a live-action series with a couple of seasons under our belt, another one about to debut, and another two in post-production. The pipeline is just filled right now with that stuff. New animated series and new video games, the foray into virtual reality with ILM Lab. There have been a lot of wonderful things to come in the just about nine years. Can you believe it? It's been nine years since Lucasfilm has been part of Disney and the next nine and the next 50, oh yeah, it seems like the future is pretty bright for Star Wars storytelling as well. And there's one other thing that I'll share just on the acquisitions front because it kind of struck me as amusing in its way. So Lucas also famously developed what was eventually sold to Steve Jobs in 1986, Pixar, the animation studio Pixar, which was 20 years later bought by Disney. And so now Lucasfilm and Pixar are back under the same banner again, which is kind of fun. Also, 20th Century Fox, which when Disney acquired Lucasfilm, 20th Century Fox still had distribution rights for the first six movies. Well, <laughs> Disney went out and bought 20th Century Fox, and so now they've got those distribution rights too. So everything that was Lucasfilm has been consolidated under the Disney banner with actually just one exception, which is THX as a company. It was spun off from Lucasfilm in the early 2000s and then eventually sold, and now it's owned by Razer, which is a video game hardware company and has been for the last five years or so. But yeah, that's the only piece that is no longer part of Lucasfilm, part of Disney, part of that whole ecosystem. And that's just about everything that I have to share with you on our short podcast. <laughs> I mean, heck, you could go a lot deeper in talking about 50 years of Lucasfilm. And in fact, I'm going to share with you a couple of things in the show notes that will give you the opportunity to do just that. One of them I mentioned at the top of the show already, the timeline of technical achievements. I did pick out a couple of things to share with you during this episode, but there's a lot more and it's just crazy impressive. There's also a link I'll share with you about blog posts on Lucasfilm. Lucasfilm's website that are specifically tagged around the 50th anniversary, so there are some retrospective stories being told, and there's a lot of great stuff there as well. And then the last thing, if you're into trivia type stuff, the D23 website for their big expo, they put out a 50th anniversary crossword celebration, which is essentially a trivia document. I did pretty well. I was happy about it. It isn't just Star Wars stuff. It's also Indiana Jones stuff and Willow stuff. Yeah, it's definitely across the whole spectrum and also from Star Wars storytelling, it's across the whole spectrum of Star Wars storytelling. I only missed a couple of them. I was really happy about that. So all of that will be linked in the show notes for the episode and at the blog post for the show's episode at sw7x7.com. So that is just about it. I do just want to say happy anniversary once again to Lucasfilm. They have brought us some amazing storytelling over the years and contributed to the storytelling that others have brought to us over the years. It's really 
an amazing thing to see how the company has grown over five decades and all the incredible stuff that they've brought to us in the world of entertainment. It's, it's just astounding. So happy anniversary, Lucasfilm. And that right there is going to do it for this episode of the show. It just remains for me to say thank you so much for joining me for it, as always. And may the force be with you wherever in the world you may be. By seven is not endorsed or sponsored yet by Lucasfilm Limited, Disney, or 20th Century Fox, and is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, all names and pictures of Star Wars characters, vehicles, and any other Star Wars-related items are registered trademarks and/or copyrights of Lucasfilm Limited. Other respective trademark and copyright holders may the force be with them. All original content is copyright 2021 by Star Wars Seven by Seven. We hope you love it.